0: and you can't digest anything, and everything gives you acid, it's still going to be about cooking bland for each other.
1: But I think that people who don't know you don't realize the sparkle you get in your eye you talk about Nikki's seafood salad. Something, something. <laughs> the LaBelle triggers. Marketplace seafood salad? There's like, this is Nikki's salad. It's like. It is the best. <laughs> see, Saint? is it that is how far, Nikki and you say love? It is far <laughs> superior. Nikki, I love your seafood salad. Let me get back to the survey. Yeah. But Do you it, have a Valentine's Day card, Nikki, I love your seafood <laughs> salad? No. Can we make that into a t shirt?
0: I love you more than seafood salad.
1: I like Nikki. I love you seafood salad.
0: (laughs) I love you more than seafood salad.
1: That would be a great song. Patrick. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody.
0: See that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino
1: Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli
0: If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate so see that you're born in an Italiano, and your life will be
1: great.
2: Buongiorno, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. You are joining us halfway through our four-part series on the Italian-American doing four identity. Parts on this? Yeah, sounds like 40-something questions. This is going like to <laughs> go
1: on forever. Didn't Shogun go on for like six, seven is, episodes? Yeah,
2: we're, we're running into uh, dangerous territory. It's like Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So we're together again talking about this wonderful survey. I'm your moderator, John Viola. Here with Pat O'Boyle, Rosella Rago, and uh, Dolores was with us for the first part of this, but uh, unfortunately couldn't be back today, so we're going to cover... She just
1: had a special day.
2: Yes, her birthday just her birthday passed.
0: Just she doesn't passed. like to talk about her birthday, guys. Okay.
1: Well, well, she. Well Now we know if she listens or not. We'll bleep it out. <laughs> not, just leave it. She mentions it. That's right. That's why I tell people all the time. They're like, oh, we listen, we love it, then I'll ask a question.
0: I, I missed that one. <laughs> of That's course, the one.
2: yeah. The one episode you didn't that hear. That one episode.
1: Yeah.
0: Pat, you don't even Listen.
1: No, I none like of us do. Way. No, I don't. I don't listen because I would be critical and yeah. I would analyze and overanalyze. Yeah, and... I
2: like that we don't listen to ourselves. I get enough of it on the editing every week. Oh I don't
1: yeah, know, I, no. I don't know how you do I, it. God personally. bless you. There's
2: many times where I fall asleep with your voices in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's very often. <Like> <laughs> That's both sad and creepy. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you tell your wife this? Yeah, of course. My poor wife's gonna Had therapize Pat me. <laughs> <out his> voices <laughs> in my mind. Well, she doesn't care. Nah, she no, doesn't she's she's glad it's not hers. She's the chillest person.
2: My wife is so mellow. She's like chill. She's the most mellow person. How do you, you say ever. "chill"
1: in malaise? Make a T-shirt.
0: Oh God, I don't even know. Somewhere calm. Th- it's calm. Pacifico. Calm.
1: Tranguel. That's a bit, but that's not even. I guess I don't think "chill" really translates as tr- as tranquil but.
0: I
2: guess so. It kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, but Chill has another, I don't know. That's a great, that's why people get doctorates in, in linguistics, I guess.
2: I remember when uh, those Keep Calm and Carry On posters came out, the British ones, and mm-hmm. everybody was translating them to a million languages. And I was at NIAF, and we were doing them in Sicilian and Neapolitan. And it was like a five-day conversation to figure out how to say it. Do you it. know
1: that all came because somebody found one of those signs in like a like a antique
0: store? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you Built know, and a I'm whole a, I'm a worldwide collection. movement out of it. I know. I wish we had one of those
1: in like Italian that I could bring out to the world. I was going through but, my but stuff. But it's yesterday.
0: not possible for our people because we're just not calm.
1: No, we're not calm. But well, we like the fact that we're not calm. So we have to underline that we're not calm. Yeah,
2: it's true. That's how a lot of Italian Americans like, are. keep calm, it.
1: and we're not calm.
2: Yeah, it was, they like, I'm Italian, and I can't keep yeah, calm.
0: Yeah, I can't keep calm. I'm Italian. Yeah. That's it. That
2: makes sense to me.
1: It was, a, it was a popular seller. We're a country of chamomile drinkers. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of like... Bonomelli. Yeah, just get all worked up, and then there's a whole ceremony to dework you up.
2: Speaking of things that unite us, like our chamomile drinking, let's come back into the survey. So we're, we're up to question 23, and we've gotten great responses in the previous two episodes. Thank you, everybody out there who's listening and digesting and enjoying. What we've done is we released the first quarter of results, and people felt like the writing was small and it was hard to read. And so, you know, again, we're all not demographers or statisticians or uh, marketing experts. So we're sort of doing this the best we can. But I think what we've decided is to uh, delay the piecemeal results until we can push the whole package out. And you'll get a little bit more understanding of what that means on the next episode when we finalize this thing. But
1: That's a complicated...
2: Yeah. That ha- sounds
1: very complicated. It
2: is a little bit complicated because what we did was we took this information in using one platform, and then I found through some personal friends a brand-new platform that's out there that has made it far more dynamic to look at these responses, and we can compare them based on certain things. And so now we can say, okay, you know, mark for everybody who is from Campania and see what they said about it. And so we can really sort of separate this thing out in a much different way. So this is a big opportunity for us to really dig into this data, but I wanted to make sure that we uh, we were doing it in a timely way. So the actual physical printed summary results, they'll be there. Don't worry. They're not going to change. But uh, hopefully you're enjoying the shows. So, let's go right back into question twenty-three.
1: This sounds like an SAT prep. <laughs> that's what LSAT, Italian American LSAT question, <laughs> question. Let's dissect question twenty-three. Exactly, that's this true. This is are people. Are you enjoying this out there in podcast land? It Seems like They're, people. They are. can't
0: answer you, Pat, right now.
2: <laughs> when, when we,
1: the, the, um, this is um, hypothetical. I got not hypothetical, but it's a rhetorical. What. Rhetorical, rhetorical.
2: Yeah. Question 23. Question 23 was, please indicate how much you agree with the following statements about your Italian-American identity. And we gave a list of that a dozen statements that we came up with. Some of them were actually created by listeners. We, we asked for people through social media to make some recommendations. We got some great ones. So thank you if one of yours or multiple are on this list. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rank them in the order of importance. So we gave a zero through five options. Zero was not important at all. Five was extremely important. And this is how it ranked, which I think is kind of interesting. The, the statement most um, agreed upon was preserving my Italian-American heritage is important to me. Okay, that makes sense. 4.8. Spending time with family helps me to preserve my culture. 4.6. In good ways and bad. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Perpetuates. It perpetuates. <laughs> A weekly family meal is important. 4.4. Italian-American. 4.4? That's it? Well, out of five. Oh, right. oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. See how much attention <laughs> we <pay? laughs> My attention span is short. My ten. ten. <laughs> uh. ADD. <laughs> ADD. Somebody said right. it. You know who you are.
1: <laughs> I'm the ADD king of podcasts. Yeah, so that means
2: 4.4. 4. You know, that's close to extremely important. And I'm hoping that means, as we'll see later on, that people are actually doing that family meal. Uh, this is a great one, bro. You're going to like this. 4.3, Right. It's Italian-American cuisine is
1: distinct from Italian cuisine. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, Well, I think I think that you, Ro, have been the Joan of Arc of the Italian. Of, <laughs>
0: because of, I take the arrows. Yeah, because you, you get abused Lord in Italy. Knows. You do,
1: yeah. That's true. It, because it's like in Italy, well, the worst thing in the world is the American hamburger or the German blue gelato ice cream, you know. Yeah. but and then, then below that is the, is the veal parmesan. That's the lowest <laughs> Italian-American, like, veal... Dishes are no the no, no. What would Shrimp you say? Parmesan is, is, is the most but I love, <laughs> you know, offensive. like, the hardest thing to me about dealing with I- Italians from Italy is their closed-mindedness with certain things.
0: Yeah, but they have a problem with those things, but then they order pizza with hot dogs and french fries on it.
2: It's true. It's very popular there.
0: And, but then they call it Pizza Americana. <laughs>
2: That's so bad. That's insulting. Which is, like, <laughs> like nobody really in America funny. It's a
1: complicated, um, this is my big argument with this. I've said this on an on this is this is a kick I'm on lately that's why yeah. I've been repeating it a lot. Uh, the Sunday meal on on uh, was a soup of greens cooked in a broth made from soaked salted pieces. Yeah. So what would happen is the vegetable broth combo would be the first plate that would be the soup. And then the second plate would be the boiled meat pieces. Mm. Right? Now why am I bringing this up? Because my argument to Italy is, okay, somewhere in the 1700s, around the time of the American Revolution, the menesta maradada, which was your Sunday meal, was supplanted by the ragù. So the the tomato sauce, tomato gravy, Sunday gravy, Sunday sauce, whatever you call it, overtook a menesta maradada. Now, menesta maradada has survived. The menesta maradada, a lot of people out there, especially in Ohio, Pennsylvania, you call wedding soup, wedding soup. But it is not the Sunday. So if you went back in the time of the American Revolution and you said to somebody in Naples, what do you have every Sunday? Oh, I have my nice tomato, right? So the tomato comes from America and revolutionizes things. But it was a foreign product. It was a foreign product. Italians, I think the Italians did the best with it. I think Italy took a foreign product and revolutionized it, right? So I don't think anywhere in the world that had the tomato before us did anything as good with it as we did. And I'm proud of that. Amen. But I've said, like, ginger exists in Italy now, right? So it's, it's seen as a, a, a spice of the Orient, the right. East, And in limited ways, it's used in Italy now. But it's a foreign spice. And maybe 30, 40 years from now, maybe 60 years from now, be being Italian kid just assumes that ginger is part of the food landscape. Yeah, true. The same way as in Lazio, uh, parts that are really Lazio and parts of Lazio that were stole from Campania, hmm. which is the, uh, irredeemed Campania. <laughs> Kiwis have taken off. Really? Sure, so... Lazio produces a tremendous amount of kiwis. Wow, I didn't know that. So now in Italy you get kiwis all the time, but they ta- they it's a it's a New Zealand right yeah sure. fruit that's grown in Italy and it has integrated into the diet.
2: I mean, so I mean, think about it. Italy of all places is the laboratory for culinary mixing. I mean, think about how many foreign influences have brought their ingredients. You, you can't really find uh, indigenous ingredients, quote unquote, right because you know. Grapes come from Greece and... Yeah,
1: uh, 100%. and Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Pre-Columbian Italy, chickpeas, fava, and lentils, they existed in continental Europe. Yeah. They come from the old world. Right. Every other bean is from the new world. Wow. So Vazul is a post-Columbian dish. It's amazing. The cuisine of today was not the cuisine of yesterday. It won't be the cuisine of tomorrow. Why am I saying all this? Because... Italian-American cuisine is a Creole cuisine of Italy, right? right? So another thing I want to say is that a lot of the immigrants who came here came from towns that maybe had six dishes because the food was so limited. Sure. So if you're in a town of Calabria where all you have is beans and you have flour and you have a few tomatoes, you're not going to have a very varied cuisine.
2: Well, that's like when we talk about Christmas, when we do the Christmas episodes and we end up talking about seven fish and, you know, we always come back to it like, you know,
1: uh, that's uh, ridiculous. Right. Th- th- this, right, this is
2: why this is why or like bacala and eel are the most traditional because they're the only ones that were available to the right,
1: Well, if, but it it the
0: big argument about Italian American food to me is that Italians just think that aliens gave them these ideas when really, yeah. like Italians created yeah, these that's things. That's right, like but I, I think it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't something taught to Italian immigrants by Americans. <laughs> right. This true. was. The, yeah. These were Italian immigrants doing the best of the, what they had. It,
2: but I think what Italians overlook is that it is still a branch on the same culinary tree. These are transplanted Italians who evolved their food traditions forward, but they come from the same root.
1: The fact that food means so much to us, I think, is why the meal, the common meal, and the food are combined as uh, such a pivotal touchstone of our culture. That's why I think, I mean, that that's so clear on why this would get the attention. Yeah, I agree with you.
2: That. I think that's true. I think, I think a lot of food stuff, we we, we talk about food almost every episode per, first because it's We talk food. about food, I would it's get up my, every morning, life. my yeah.
1: grandmother said to me, I go with my grandmother until she died, I was 21. She said to me every morning at breakfast, oh, what do you want to eat tonight? <laughs> exactly. That, that was the whole discussion. Yeah. But that's, but it is, it's so important. And that was love. That yeah. wasn't people like, oh, like, I tell Irish people that, oh, how that woman suffered, you know, <laughs> you know. And no, but my, it was my grandma's happiest thing was cooking. And every morning was like an order. Yeah. And then that's what you got at night. And then you would discuss the next morning, how that was and what you felt like having the next day.
0: I mean, I found that 95% of marriage has just been asking someone what they
1: want. <laughs> is that your takeaway, Ro? Is that, <laughs> is that your advice to uh, all those young, young, young uh, Italians, all say, these couples out there, Valentine's <laughs> weekend. Here's Rose. Well, it's already we passed say, by the time. What this do comes you want to
0: eat? tonight more than we say i love you that's i mean
1: funny. but it's <laughs> is that mole's for i love you is that is that your love language with nikki that's I, true
0: oh ab, listen
1: i see how listen will
0: but. outlast everything else
2: that's true uh it's interesting that we you know you bring out like how different and distinct the two cuisines are and people acknowledge that right they see it as a, as a real thing it's obviously one of the top responses because in the next two in ranking a four out of five People said, I feel a closeness with Italians of all regional backgrounds. And at 3.8 out of 5, I feel closer to Italians with whom I share regional backgrounds. So that's interesting.
1: I'm surprised. I, yeah, thought it it would be, I thought it would be reversed.
2: I did too. Uh, it tells you that the bulk, I think, and this is something I kind of really did understand before, and I think I've gotten a little bit myopic around it, the bulk of the Italian-American community, particularly those people whose families came pre-World War II, they don't have the same regional hang-ups that used to exist.
1: This is the, the post-war oh, 100%. merging,
2: right. you know, like yeah, you know, my, my grandparents got married in the 50s and it was really hard for my grandmother's Baresi family to accept that my grandfather was Sicilian. That would never happen to me. My them.
1: grandmother had neighbors. My grandmother's best friend was Baresi. But my grandmother took about their food and their language like it was a completely separate... Like the Bades make this. Sure. It would be the Bades, the Chinese, the Germans. (laughs) You know, I
0: think you guys have a different perspective than I do because I'm 100% Molese. You're from
1: one
2: town.
0: Yeah, I'm from one town, uh, very proud town well we can't decide if we're proud or disgusted with ourselves
1: <laughs> that's a, we that's alternate all, i'll Italians. tell you something else Puglia, <laughs> that, there's a commonality Puglia is, let's be honest no 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 is more closed
0: this isn't a Puglia thing it's a molody body thing so <laughs> we 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 like uh we're like fiercely proud but then at the same time we're like we recognize that we are kind of the worst humans in the world <laughs> We're, the, we're, like, the most jealous, I think spiteful, that's all Italians.
2: I really do. do people. I, I, don't, I, think, I think Italians hate themselves, hate everything about Italy. Oh,
1: they do I, hate themselves. Italian-Americans, no. too. Think Sicilians about how much we Sicilians love complain.
0: themselves.
2: Okay, probably fair, yeah. Sicilians, but they hate the system. They hate They hate the way it functions. But then when you leave Italy, or you leave your community, or you leave the tribe, whatever it is, then you're proud to be Italian.
1: Yeah, but I think that, I think, again, it comes into regionalism. Barre's communities, they are hyper- um, based and they are closed. And I, I'll tell you, my friend who's the expert in Italian-American feast, Paul Pacelli, says all the time that. Now, he has filmed 410 Italian-American. No, more than that. Yeah, around the country. 500, the, almost 500. Right, all around the country, Italian-American feasts and processions. He is the expert, and he will tell you, uh, the Galabrese, he says, are the mo- most warmest and the most opening, uh, most open. So he says that if he goes to a, a Galabrese feast, they, they open-armed, oh, I'm so glad you came, I'm so glad you're filming for your documentary. Eat, drink, very welcoming. He says, Campania stuff is always a mess. It's always chaos the morning before. <laughs> Any Navidad people, it always it always turns out, but they're like, no, I can't talk. Well, the band is coming, there's running this chaos. And he says, "Pulia is the most closed. Hmm. So the, the Bade's ones will be like, um, what are you doing here? Why are you here? <laughs> Why do you want to film <laughs> us? It's a very closed. Yeah. It's very closed. And he, he goes to all the regions and but just the, and uh, they
0: But they say it like, why do you want to film this crap? <laughs> <laughs> like. No, yeah. he doesn't. His thing is <laughs> like, why? Don't waste <laughs> your film.
1: <laughs> His thing is like, this is our procession for us. These are people from our town. Though he says the Bades do the best as far as presentation. Sure, they're the best organized we have in the South.
2: Think about the mercantile. Fabruzzo,
1: Switzerland. The- what is Puglia, Germany?
2: Yes. They're the Germans. They the are South. Germany, absolutely.
1: I never thought of that till now. This we're is Campania fun. had a stronger relationship with the English, as you think about it. No, Sicily's but England. We're not England. Sicily's yeah, England. Sicily, yeah, that's true. That's true. Sicily's England. Yeah. What's Campania? Campania's is Campania.
2: Calabria is Greece. Calabria is Greece. is like Eastern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> it's Like yeah, Slovakia. Yeah, yeah, Slovakia. <laughs> yeah. It's very like,
1: you know, very natural but it's like Kazakhstan. simple. <laughs>
0: Borat's <laughs> Kazakhstan. That's
1: not... You're going to make a lot of... See, there goes
0: Basilicata. Uh,
2: I, yeah, I think... I don't know. Campania, may, France? No. N- maybe it's closest to France. No. We're, we're too open and happy and fun. Yeah. But that's not France. But I mean, these are all approximations, right? I mean, but Campania's Campania. It's, I think it's its own place. Yeah,
0: Campania's its own country. <laughs> yeah, it was it the really
2: kingdom, is, right? It was the sure. kingdom of Naples. Um, the next thing that came in, right? So We did food. We did regional. Religion is a significant part of my Italian-American culture. That was a 3.78. And we do ask further along more questions about religion that are going to sort of give a a, a better explanation. So maybe we hold off on religion. Um, Then we ask people, uh, 3.59, it's important to learn Italian if you don't already speak it. Again, 3.59, Italian-American media portrayals are discriminatory, which is interesting because that didn't come up in other questions where we asked about media portrayals in the the latter parts. 3.5, Northern and Southern Italy are more different than they are similar. 3.1, people said if available where I live, I'd want to send my children to attend an Italian-English bilingual school. 3.1, it's important for my children to learn to speak Italian or a regional language. Then 3.1, I believe in Malocchio. So that's still more than... 3.1? Yeah. Well, I guess you have a whole generation who didn't grow up with it. Yeah, but it's interesting that it's still that much.
1: And oh, you did? I thought that was kind of a low number.
2: Well, two, if 2.5 is the median point. And then uh, the average of 3 also came up for 13 is a lucky number, and it's important to speak the regional language of my ancestors. Then we start to get to the areas below the average agreement. Uh, children should be named after their grandparents and subsequently other family members in keeping with the traditional naming conventions, 2.97. Wow.
1: That's low. Very That's
2: low. That's below, below median, yeah. I would move back to Italy, 2.95. It's pejorative or offensive to use the term Medigon in describing white Anglo-Saxon Protestants that only came in 2.7. So we, yeah. could, we could keep throwing around Medigon. <laughs> uh, I find mafia films and TV offensive, only 2.7. And I wear traditional Italian good luck charms to defend against bad luck, only 2.74. So well,
0: d- That's bad for my business.
2: <laughs> no, I guess it's crap. Now, it th- but nothing came in unimportant which I thought was really interesting. Because we are the new neighborhood. Yeah.
1: I mean, if, if you're listening, you're part of a movement. Really. Yeah, it's a hometown thing. And I think yeah, sure. next
2: time we do one of these, because we will do more, I'd like to maybe rephrase the questions less about importance. Maybe they rank them, something like that. I, I, again, I don't really know how to do these things. So maybe we'll bring a professional on next time, because the information is so valuable. Um, the next question we asked was about religious affiliation. And 70%, 70.6% are Roman Catholic. And then, uh, i got to go by percentages here, Five five 5.3% didn't want to answer. And then it went down to other, non-denominational, agnostic, atheist, New Age, Lutheran, what's Baptist. Our
1: a- what's our atheist agnostic numbers?
2: Agnostic, 74 people were agnostic. Uh, that was about 4.6%. And atheism, 42
1: people. So, you, you know, de minimis
2: percentage out of 1,600.
1: I bet you that they're more traditional numbers than what you would find in the south of Italy today.
2: Oh, well, America still, America's still, far America's still much more religious Europe, yeah. than the south of Italy. Yeah,
1: but the reason I bring that up is I think a lot of Italian Americans don't realize that they think it's it's the Italy that their great grandmother left.
0: Oh yeah, they don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, well, the second question to back that up said, which of the following statements best describes your relationship with the religion or religions in which you were raised? And you only got one choice. And in that one, fifty point two percent said. I continued to practice the religion in which I was raised and share its beliefs. And then 24.3% said I culturally observe many of the traditions of my religious upbringing but do not share in its beliefs. And then 16% said I practice a religion closely related to the one in which I was raised and share most of its beliefs. And then 9.4% said I do not believe in or practice the religion in which I was raised. So fifty percent of the respondents are still practicing.
1: I would remote. love to know what the age numbers are. M- we'll get them. We'll get them next week. I'm going to say something else. Yeah, and this is going to be this might put a little kerosene on the fire. For the older generation, the Catholicism of their youth does not exist anymore, except in small pockets. That's very true. Yeah. So the Church of 1955, yeah, was out the door in 1965. So it's even even. I think because we're we're such a Catholic leaning. We are, I mean, our the headquarters is in Rome. That's right. Yeah, it's the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, they named it after us. Yeah, but it's a very different Catholicism. And you know, it brings you back to the
2: eighty-seven percent being Southern Italian, right? Because for basically the entirety of Southern Italian history up until the unification of Italy in eighteen sixty, the church and the state were so closely tied, and the church administered every hospital every school, every public service, all over outside of the big cities. So when you come here and you replicate that model, you leave right on the tail end of unification, right? So the mutual aid societies, like they are in Italy, are based on the saint and the really the the, the parish model. So the religious feast that we celebrate now, which is really a cultural feast for many people, or just a, you know, a festa italiana, it starts with the saints. Well,
1: I'm going to say something else, and I think this is this is the kind of stuff, I the, the knowledge I have that I enjoy passing on. The Catholic Church had a lot more freedom in America than it did in the south of Italy because the Bourbons controlled the church. It was almost like the czar with the orthodoxy.
2: That's very true. You know, the kings of the two Sicilies had papal legateship for, uh, I think, through Marat's reign in the Napoleonic Wars. They were allowed to pick and approve They nominated bishops. their own bishops. Yeah. They yeah. had a complete— Which is not, not uncommon, but not— Standard throughout Europe at that time. It, they, was, it was a privilege of the royal family.
1: The reason I bring it up is that things evolved. The Catholicism of pre Garibaldi Italy in the south was different than that afterwards. Yeah.
2: Oh, completely. I mean, once the Piemonte's constitution has continued down the peninsula,
1: most of the monasteries and. Marat destroyed monasticism in the south of Italy. Did a, did a and Garibaldi finished it off. Yeah. Garibaldi was the last nail in the case. They closed the
2: monasteries, closed the all these religious l- orders, yeah, sell all, off the property. Close
1: I, the schools, Close the hospitals. State, state all state all these little over. villages had convents, yeah. uh, cloistered convents Gone. and monasteries, and it's like what Russia had in 1970. It was overnight. Yeah, Murat wiped out so much in the south. He did, he really destroyed the south of Italy. And for those who are not
2: familiar, Murat, we talk about Joachim Murat is the uh, brother-in-law of Napoleon Anoth- the an- First. Another
1: rose in our garden. <laughs> yeah, and with be, Garibaldi, he Garibaldi.
2: when Napoleon conquered the Kingdom of Naples and the Bourbons fled to Sicily. He put his brother Joseph in as king. Then he needed his brother to become the king of Spain. So he went there and he put his brother-in-law. And Murad was a very famous character. He did a lot. He really, I mean, he was horrible for religion.
1: He, he invented the cemetery in the south of Italy. Yeah. Because we used to bury our dead, just like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. The dead bodies were put on slabs to decompose, in the basements of churches or out in a separate chapel. Then the bones would be gathered and put in the basement of the church. So all the old churches in the south of Italy are all ossuaries. They're right. all full of bones. And he forced on them the French system, which had been taking off in Paris, of burying the bodies in dirt and letting them decompose and then taking the bones and put them in ossuaries. Wow. So Camposande is a gift from Marat. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that.
2: But this is why, I mean, I for the audience out there, I keep pushing on Pat to do a second podcast about Catholic culture. So maybe you want to write him a letter. Encouraging him to take. Why me should up, they write
1: no, me a letter when I see nothing?
2: I'll make sure you see those ones. But this religious stuff is really interesting because I think it's interesting to see how much of the religious stuff is cultural and you know the feast days and the society halls and things like that. But so I, we also asked how often do you attend a place of worship, and uh, only occasionally was forty six point two percent weekly.
1: Forty six point two percent. Yeah,
2: only only go occasionally. Okay. Weekly was thirty percent. Uh, never was 12.8%, monthly 9.4%, and daily was only 26 respondents. So 30% of our respondents are going to a weekly service, and 70%
1: of that would be Catholic Mass. That seems um, pretty high. I don't think the numbers were ever that great in the south of Italy. Probably true. Yeah. <clears throat> the Mass attendance had a lot to do with where you lived in Italy. Yeah, I could see that. So you had towns where everybody went? Yeah towns where a man didn't go into church from the time he made confirmation until the time he got married. Then he went back in a casket.
0: That was my father.
2: That was my grandfather.
1: A lot of that had to do with the town. In my
2: dad's family, my grandmother was, like, very, very devoted. She was probably, I wouldn't call her daily communicant, but she went to Mass a lot during the week and went to the Rosary Society, and my dad and his brother and sister went to Mass every week with her. My grandfather, my grandfather, The only times I ever saw him in a church were weddings or... It doesn't mean they weren't religious. No, no. Because they they had
1: I mean, because there's a lot of people... You know, there's a lot of Sicilians. There's a great story about North End stories about, you know, Sicilian men who never, ever... Not Christmas, not Easter, would not go to church. The feast day, patronal feast day of the saints of the town, they went in. They had a check-in. But I think a lot of Italians had the idea that they didn't need to go to church to have a relationship like, like the, the, the church was kind of like a broker, and they try yeah. to get past the broker and go to God, which theologically kind of is against the whole, yeah. all of it. But Magisterium the, the, of the church. The whole, <laughs> sure, the whole teaching of, of, you know, that's a whole other podcast, but I don't think that the lack of church attendance did not necessarily No, I don't think they conflated that with being with, religious or not, no.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, you know, only 12.8% said they never attend a place of worship. That That, to me speaks to your point, the idea that it's not about mass attendance, particularly, like, I'm reading this book now about this Protestant English writer in 1815. I think I shared it with you. Oh, the book. He's writing I, I so about want to how, read that after you. It's, it's really fantastic. He writes about how he's studying Italy in 1815, all the pre-unitary states, and as a, an Anglican trying to prove that our Catholicism is basically paganism with Jesus added. And it's interesting because, you know, there's something to be said about the pre-Christian roots to our religious practices. Saints, statues, home altars, but We never denied it. Let me, let me, no, so, I know. I agree. But I
1: want to say this to everybody out there. Number one, England was the most Catholic country in the world at the time of the Reformation. After the Italian stuff, nothing interests me, I think, like pre-Reformation England. And that's a whole other story. But the most Catholic, most married, devoted, married, believing in transubstantiation, England was by and far the pillar of orthodoxy in the Catholic world yeah. in the medieval times, up until the Reformation. And that's why the church survived so long in England underground, because the ritual practice, like the shrines and the saints and Walsingham and Doncaster and all these, th- that when the government down tried to Protestantize the country, it was shoved down people's throats. So then as Protestantism kind of became the de facto culture and worldview in England, They try to go back and say, oh, well, you see, the Italians are pagans, right? right? But they didn't understand it because they'd broken from their roots. Absolutely. The Romans had home shrines to Athena and to everyone else. But their concept was, when they became Christianized, that these were demons. Right. It's like, okay, I've been praying to Athena, and Athena was a demon. So when I'm going to pull out Athena, and I'm going to put a saint in. Right. Because that saint is a manifestation of Christianity, right? So why do we celebrate Peter and Paul? Because they died for Christ, right? right. Why do we celebrate uh, Stephen the proto martyr? You know, why do we celebrate all these Roman martyrs? Because Christianity was the greatest revolution the world has ever had. Yeah, I don't care if you're atheist, whatever you are, Christianity conquered the world, sure. conquered the Roman Empire. It was the basis of Western culture, on and on. And the fact that there was never a bullet fired, right? Christianity conquered the world. Through martyrdom. The roots of the church were fed by the blood of the martyrs. And, for instance, like the, the shrine that I have a great devotion to in Novi Velia in Salerno, yeah. Maria del Sacramonte, Maria del Monte, they went in there and they tore down the shrine to Hera, the Greek goddess Hera, and they put Mary in there. And they said, you know what? Hera is a mocking. She's a demon. She mocks God. But Mary, through her fiat, through her acceptance of the will of God, which brought about her conception of Jesus and the Annunciation of the Whole Nine Yards, this is the monument to that. So there was never a denial that, that listen, we put away pagan things and we took on Christian things. So culturally, we adapted that yeah. right But I think also for people who say like you know I'm culturally Catholic or I'm culturally Christian or whatever, Christianity really turned the Roman Empire upside down. yeah and the, the concept the concept of mercy, mercy was a weakness in Rome. Yeah, that's true. Mercy was a bad—you're you're yeah. merciful, right? Yeah. The, the, you know, what do you do? You conquer a country, you kill all the men, and you rape and enslave the women. and, and I mean, the, the Christian concept of turn the other cheek—now, I'm not saying it was always practiced or it was practiced well. The concept was a complete revolution. It destroyed the Roman Empire. Rome went from a military power to an ideological force, right? And the new Roman Empire was Roman Catholicism, and it went even further than the old Roman Empire. Yes, it true. went into Scandinavia, and it went into Poland, you know, and, and the church went everywhere, and the church that to today goes everywhere, whether you believe it or not. And it, I'm not saying that the message is always implemented or yeah. implemented right, but the concept that we have of Western morality today is a Christian one, and I think that... It's very much part of our culture because we, we made the biggest change. We went from killing Christians in the Circus Maximus, you know, martyring Christians. Oh, what's what are we going to do Friday night? Let's throw some Christians to the lions. <laughs> so we went from that as a culture to throwing out a Roman deity and taking an image of that person that we martyred and putting them in there. You
2: think about the plethora of martyrs in the Italian... Um, Pantheon, pantheon of pantheon Saints. Pantheon of Saints, yeah. Um it's substantial. It's really substantial. I mean and and again it, it you know, the, the religion does come out of Jerusalem but spread from Rome to the world. God
1: didn't pick his capital be Jerusalem.
2: That's right. He picked it to be Rome. <laughs> he
1: picked it to be Rome. Well if I was that's how I know that I'm not God. And, and 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 that's how I would never if I was God, the last people I would entrust the religion to was the Italians. I <laughs> <laughs> put the headquarters in Rome. But think about how much the
2: Catholic Church defines Italy as a nation-state, and, and people talk about Italian regional identity. And, you know, if the original sin of the United States is slavery and we're still recovering from it and we'll continue to recover from it and deal with it, the original sin of Italy's unity is the occupation of the papal states in 1870, expelling the pope from his temporal lands. And that, I think that's definitional to the Italian lack of shared identity because don't forget, from 1870 to 1929... The Kingdom of Italy, all of its leadership, was under interdict. Italian-style interdict. <laughs> well, Italian-style, right, It right, was yeah. enforced on paper. Right. But, right, but, you know, practicing Catholics were told you could not participate in the organs of the state because it was an occupation force. The Pope was still living as a prisoner of the Vatican. So, but, to me, that's definitional to this lack of Italian Italian people. Um, There's a duality to the Italian identity between the Catholic side, which is so
1: Italian. I mean, there's a, pro- there's a, and I'm sure there were list- that we have, the old days were called Evangelist, mm-hmm. which were uh, Italian Pentecostals. Mm-hmm. People who had come to this country and became Pentecostals. That's worth m- multiple that, yeah, it's episodes. A great Because episode. historically, if you're out there, whether, I mean, I, I we have friends.
0: Actually, this blogger I know, whose sister married one of the Jonas Brothers, is one of those. And she's really? very Italian-American, but they're like, they're not Catholic. Like, they're Evangelical. Yeah, they yeah. must be. Because, like, they have, like, a pastor and...
2: I can't imagine what that life's like. If you're out there, please let us know. I, I would find that fascinating.
1: Um, I, I'll be honest with you. Some of the Italian evangelical communities kept stuff that died everywhere else. Like, I, I have Italian evangelical friends, and they, they became evangelists, I'd say, in the 30s. Mm. I visited once, and I was like, this is incredible. This is like a... Throwback. Now, what's happened is... Their church, and I know this from my friends, their church was an Italian Pentecostal church. It is not anymore because there's no longer a sense of Italian Pentecostals. It's gone. I mean, if you're out there, you might have a pocket. because for, for My Italian Pentecostal friends who are not adult converts, people who were raised like third generation Italian Pentecostal in the United States, they tell me that you know they go back to their church and everybody's Hispanic and the Italian concept is gone, and everybody's has got either moved away or dropped out they've they've lost a lot numbers wise too it's not um
2: but that that's interesting to me because you know to other church is not being Italian anymore you know you think about the Italian national parish concept in this country and the idea that you could have parishes based on nationality and there are many of them today that still exist. The parishioner base is no longer particularly Italian because they don't live in the area, but the church is still considered an Italian national parish. And you have to think that that system had a lot to do with keeping Catholicism at the center of our identity. They
1: were the Italian national parish because they hated the Irish parish.
2: Well, vice versa.
1: The Irishman said, You're not coming into my church. No, you know. But this this was canon law also. So just to give the Irish a little bit of a defense here. Um, You know, so some of that was actually legally the case, but some of it culturally also was, you know, you have your own church. What are you coming here for?
2: But do you not agree with me about the idea that the fundamental part of Italian identity is that split between the history of Catholicism and the history of the unitary state? And speaking of that unitary state, the next question we asked everybody was if they could indicate the frequency with which they return to Italy. How often have you visited Italy? The highest portion, twenty-one point five percent, has never been to Italy, which I thought was wow. how high twenty-one point five, which I actually thought would we be should higher. have a contest. Yeah, do we have any,
0: but that means eighty percent have been to Italy and yeah. go frequently.
2: Well, we don't I, know. I would like to do an
1: adult gift of discovery.
2: We should do that. We should do that. Now, here's, we're going to get to the frequency. I already
0: do that. It's called the cooking with Nona. Tour. <laughs> That's
2: right. It's available <laughs> now online. Cooking with <laughs> Nona. Uh, The next highest portion, 15.5% have been two to five times. Okay. So that is pretty frequently, right? Cause uh, you think about generationally travel doesn't happen as frequently as it does today. I think millennials travel more than any generation ever has. Um, twelve point seven percent have been once. Then it kind of really goes down from there, you know, only the three point four percent go yearly. You know, that's it's hard. It's hard to go yearly, right? Mm-hmm. Um
0: unless you have like ties there. Yeah.
2: You know, like yeah. if you're if you're a recent immigrant or you have, you know, you still have family family there, it makes sense. Um but I, I but the bulk of people, right? You're talking about about twenty nine, thirty percent have have been to Italy between one and five times. I think that's pretty uh, pretty incredible. And
0: then there's that population that, like, you know, hasn't been back in, like, 20, 30 years. Yeah. You know, that's always been, like, an interesting set of pr- people well, you, for you
1: me. You want right. to hear something? I, I think that's funny about this. One way we're much closer, right, because you can go online and book a flight. People are much less intimidated going to Italy now than they were, like, in the early 80s. Yeah. So it's not like people can go now all the time. It's not the once-in-a-lifetime trip. That it was for everybody. It's for somebody, but not it was for everybody in the early 80s. But in the early 80s, if you did go to Italy, on like $35, you could live like a king for an entire summer. Yeah, true.
0: Well, and even they, and when and the, like the bureau was still around. Sure. Oh, yeah.
1: I was just having this conversation the other night with someone. My aunt came back from Italy in 1983, and I never knew a human being could pack so much stuff in two suitcases. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it <laughs> was like... Un- I. Everybody in my mother's family has multiple table cords, bottles of, of, of like, Galeano, and and uh, it was inc- the amount of stuff she brought home. I have no—it was all the, the kind of tchotchke type of stuff that was kind of prevalent in the early 80s. The
0: last year that the lira was there, in 2001, we were there, and it was just like this giant half-off sale.
2: <laughs> well, the— the, oh. the, the whole currency was about to devalue by half.
0: It was insane. It was amazing. It I was used just to love shopping all. there.
2: I used to go crazy shopping. But you think about, like, the 80s. Talk about like in my family, the older generations, if they went back, only went maybe once, right? It was a big trip. You saved up. And my great-grandparents, the story goes, they went in the 70s for, like, a whole summer to be with my great-grandmother's sisters in Sicily. And uh, my great-grandmother smuggled back all this Italian gold she oh, wasn't put it that, in her they all back they that, put it right That 18-carat she, yeah. gold. They would wow. wear yes. all the jewelry
0: like yes. on the plane. There'd but be cheap.
1: millions of dollars of chains.
2: But my great-grandmother did not want to throw out the boxes because she wanted to gift it in the boxes. So she had a luggage full of boxes. Customs found it. Then they had a strip search her to get the chain. I mean, we have a lot of funny stories about them going back. And, you know, like my great-grandfather went back on that trip. And my grandfather always says he brought back a radio, an old Italian radio. And he plugged it in. And, uh, obviously, you know, radio turned on, and he turned to my grandfather and his brothers and said, I can't believe it. This thing played such nice Italian music when we were there. Because, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, <laughs> up, know, it's like a famous story in my family. But, yeah, for them, it was like a big deal. Like, you, they, they made the return trip. It was like a pilgrimage.
1: The one thing that sticks in my head, Ro, do you remember the tablecloths they used to bring back?
2: My mother mother-in-law, La-ma
1: La-ma my mother-in-law yeah, still at yeah, those. Yeah. All the embroidered oh, yeah. oh, yeah. But you never used them. No. And no, you, they, can't use they, them. you got them for forty years. Then they rot. <laughs> and they paid five bazillion dollars them in Italy. But you could you can only use them if you put them as the show tablecloth. Yeah, covered with a plastic transparent tablecloth on top. Because the yes. trip
0: to Italy was what you were saving for all year. Yeah, for like everything. these were the people that lived really modestly yeah. and like lived in the bi- and shut all the lights off and just lived in complete darkness.
1: <laughs> like and uh, became millionaires that yes, way. Yes,
0: that's yes, yes. Uh, but then that. Like you know, my nonna would just you know if you were in a room unless you were doing something really important, the lights had to be There's off. There's no reason for it. There's yeah. just no reason for electricity. But then when we would go to Mola for the summer, it's like la vuoi questa la nona. She was like money bags. She was she was just like oh you get this. She was like Oprah. You get this and you get this and you get this and it's like oh because it's Italian. She'll buy you the shoes because they're Italian course. shoes. Of course. You get the dress because it's an Italian dress.
2: We always had that. That. It was like a big thing for us going back. We, like, You know, what, what you brought back. I remember my cousins would come. They'd come here. They'd buy jeans. We'd go there. We'd bring gold back. It was like a really big deal.
0: When I was little, it was more like that. Like you would go, you would have to go to the, the jewelry store, Diana, in Muladibadi <laughs> every year and pick something out. And, you know, your zia would want to give it to you. You know, your grandma would want to get you something from one of the the, the famous stores yeah. in town.
2: It's interesting for me when I got married to Nicole because her father came in the 60s and still goes back to his family home in Abruzzo uh, every couple of years now because he's, he's a doctor. He's pretty busy. But when they go back, anywhere in Italy they are, they always make their way down to the town. And uh, I went with them for the first time a couple of years ago, and it was Really a flashback for me because we went to the jewelry store just like that. Like this is the biggest jewelry store in this little town, and my mother in law made sure we got. It, and Nicole had gotten that stuff when she was a kid, and my mother in law went to get the tablecloths and curtains. And my father in law was like, "But we have the exact same ones." Like, no, these are different. And she, put yeah, them but they up. are different. I mean, that's the, one of the great things about Italy. This one has
0: cherries. The other one has it lemons. Was a big deal.
2: But the, but the fact that these touchstones are still there in certain cases is really. It's it's heartwarming, actually. Like, I loved observing it to the point, now when my wife and I go, I, I always want to bring my mother-in-law home the same stuff, because I like that she collects them and doesn't use them. It means a lot to me, because it's a, it's a throwback.
0: Yeah, I mean, the trips to Italy, I think, really made me who I am. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what my life would have been like if, if I just didn't have those two, three months every summer. Yeah. You know, and, and in the beginning, they used to just, like, mail us there <laughs> with my grandma. With Nona, they were but just. But that,
1: that—that's what I think. That's what separates the men from the boys. Because even think with Irish people, the ones who sent their kids back every summer are different. Sure. Because they spent their summers there. They a lot of the married people moved back there. Yeah. You know, it well was then, a whole different. You
0: know, with with us, it was just like it, it, when we were small, they wanted us to go every summer. And then when I started getting older, they started to get really worried that I would like find someone there, <laughs> and they it, and the whole thing became different. It's like, no, no, now now you should stop going.
1: <laughs> Thank God for Nikki. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you met Amolays right did, in Brooklyn. We, we you were, didn't even have to go to Mola. We
0: were probably there the same summers too. We talk about we were just in different yeah, age I, groups, but. I you saw know.
1: Nikki's face when I revealed to him your secret that you are not all Malays.
0: What? Oh, stop!
1: Is this an on-air bomb? Yeah,
2: he didn't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa! She, we we got to call the national inquiry. She never first of not all, all Malays. That, that was that was
0: fraud in the inducement. Absolutely fraud. nothing about yeah. me. Do I need
2: to edit this out? She's not. My all husband malaise. remembers. nothing. It
0: wouldn't shock me if he didn't know my middle name.
2: <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I'm not worried about Nikki knowing.
0: What are you? John's really hurt right no, now. No, I'm thrilled, actually. Are, I'm thrilled by this. You guys are not seeing the <laughs> not facial expressions. <laughs> yes, right. No,
2: it, a, it, it, even more diversity we could add to this show. She's got a cover-up. She's got her non-malaise in the minute, closet. Wait a minute. I want to hear. Is, First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that Pat knows and I don't, but we'll handle that off mic. What are you?
0: Because... <laughs> And are they going to rescind your Miss Mola? What are (laughs) you? I want to know. Don't tell me it's like two towns
2: over. I'm going to be very let down.
0: Listen, it's not the crying game, all (laughs) right? Stop. There's no big bombshell. Yes, it is the next town over. (laughs) My grandfather... Nonna Romana's husband was originally from Conversano,
2: <laughs> like a mile away. But yes. in mo-
1: this <laughs> less, is a bit.
0: probably less than a mile. Yeah, yeah away.
2: but right.
1: don't they have insults in Mola about Conversano? Like no, you could well, go soccer ball, like you're from Conversano? Mu- not as
0: many about Conversano as we do ha- have about Rutigliano. So there's three towns in the area that Mola's in. There's Rutigliano, Conversano, and, and. Can you give
1: me a Conversano well insult? <laughs> like you, no, your mother looks like, like, like she comes from Conversano.
0: It, it's it's uh, a it's like when you're playing soccer and the guy. You've got misses. the brains
1: of somebody from Conversano. Yeah, it's like,
0: like just de Rutigliano. What do you say that again? Rutigliano. We say Rutigliano. Oh god! So, so, give
1: us the full oh. insult again. Hold on, I want to hear, I want this insult for the ages. You yeasers. just say,
0: "What are you from, Rutigliano?" Like. <laughs> That you play soccer well, like this? I, I can
1: not just tell you guys that I saw Nicky's mouth drop. <laughs> I saw his chin hit the floor. It was like, I'm finding this out now. I mean, what? You guys are married almost a year.
0: Almost a year, yeah. I still and haven't sent out my thank you it cards. It took
1: me. <laughs> I had <laughs> to be <laughs> not the not one. I had to be the one to out you. All right. Well,
0: okay,
2: so so bro, even though you're you're a quarter from the town over, obviously Mola where you went. Do you remember the first time you went? Were you too young? To Mola? To back to Italy.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, vividly.
2: What was it Seriously, like? Seriously,
0: I was seven. Yeah. And uh, we were, like, mailed there with my grandmother. We, My parents didn't come. So it was just me and my brother. I was seven, and he must have been uh, 11. And we just got on the plane, and I remembered, like, not really understanding where the hell I was going. Yeah. I had no concept of this long journey. And when you're seven, that journey is a long.
2: Oh, my gosh. I, I I totally agree with that. I was just it's, recounting that to my parents the other day.
0: It feels like, you know, three days. It feels like
2: the trip my grandfather took on the boat to come yeah, over Yeah, I was like, like, when are we going to get there? And,
0: like, Nona was much younger, like, to, to just travel with two, you know, very God rambunctious blessed. kids. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just remember going through customs and this long, long, long line at the Rome airport. <laughs>
2: yeah, still there.
0: I think they had sent us because they realized we weren't speaking Italian anymore yeah. at home. Because by then, you know, Italian was was our first language. And then we went to school and we didn't want to speak Italian. We wanted to speak English. And um, they were worried. Uh, and they were like, okay, so maybe if we don't go, that'll really force them Yeah. to, to speak Italian again. And I also remember the old body airport that looked like the Somalia airport. <laughs> it really, it, there was like one ceiling fan <laughs> that was barely moving. It really looked crazy. Like, I mean, just when you of when course. you live in New York City. Oh, my gosh. And then you go, you're like, where did you bring me? It's like, a different world. Everything is falling down. Yeah. And then um, we got in the car in my DHS at his little Peugeot. Oh, my God. That gray Peugeot had the scratchiest gray seats.
2: The Italy of the 80s, 90s was a fundamentally different place.
0: <sighs> and I'm looking out the window. You know, I'm looking at, like, this flat farmland. Yeah. That is essentially what Puglia <laughs> is. Yeah. And I see, like, grapes growing. And I smell, you know, the burning wheat. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and algae. Because we start to drive along and see the water. And that's where they took us. They took us to the villa. And, like, uh, we were maybe in the car for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I turned to Nonna and I go, Nonna, mi piace l'Italia. Wow. And she remembers those words. Like, she was like... (gasps) it worked
2: <laughs> and you never look back from there and
0: then you know yeah that first trip was was really transformative just seeing how everything was different and how it worked and how you know the you didn't always have hot water all the time yeah. and uh if it rained the electricity would go out we had this one little black and white tv and we would watch um little cartoons called soletico there was a little cartoon show called uh, soletico tickles and we watched the same cartoons over and over again <laughs> And we suddenly were forced into this world where my brother and I had to really entertain ourselves. So yeah. we had one cousin that we were trying to kill every day. Like, he was just the most annoying human <laughs> that God ever made. He still is. I don't care if he hears this. And, <laughs> and every it was like Pinky in the brain. Like, what are we going to do today, Pinky? It's like, try and kill Luciano. <laughs> like
2: That's what Nicole calls Pat and I. <laughs> when really? we're pla- whenever we're planning, she I'm um, on the phone planning with him. She calls us Pinky and the Brain. No,
0: no, but this guy was was outrageous. Like so, like your your activities were l- limited to stealing almonds from the tree <laughs> next door. You know, I learned what a real almond looked like, and yeah. it's like got this fuzzy coating, and then it's got the hard yeah. You got to crack it. Yeah, you got to crack it open with a big rock, and then we would get to that like sour almond mm-hmm. inside, or we would catch lizards. And when you would catch a lizard, you would have to like make a noose. <laughs> with some wheat and this guy you'd get like this close and he would come and like clap his hands
1: <laughs>
0: and just like totally mess your stuff up
2: but you fell in love with it despite your cousin
0: i did
1: do you feel there's parts of america you missed out on because you were never here in the summer
0: no not at all
1: like did you come back from being in mola and your friends like oh you know jill is going out with jack now and we had a Great time at the 4th of July fireworks. Did you ever feel left the out? The only
0: thing that I felt left out of was, so I use my best friend as a, as a guide because my best friend's father was born in America and only her mother was born in Mala. So she had a, a, a much more Americanized upbringing than I did. So like they didn't go to Italy as much as we did. They went to Disney World. Oh,
2: we, we did that, too. I love that. So they <laughs> got to
0: do the more metagon things. Yes. Yeah. That we we were just, my brother and I, after a while, when I was, like, around 13, 14, things start to change. Because around that time, you want so much independence. Yeah. And there, my parents would give it to us. Yeah. Because there, they knew, it's you know, the town's as big as this conference room. Yeah. And uh, you know everybody. Yeah. So your parents would kind of just say, all right, go go have fun. Yeah, and we were like, what, really? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, what time do I have to be back here? And I was like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's a lot safer. And in they the, would in the just psychology. be in the piazza with their friends till two a.m. Wow! And we were allowed to like roam with their friends' kids.
2: Yeah, that's, see that that's an important like you have that experience of going back to a town where your family is at a regular place, knowing the people. Nicole's life was like that. She went back to her grandmother's mm-hmm. town and then her dad's town.
1: I think the number one key to any kid that goes back to the parents' place of birth is you need a base. You need a house. And yes. You need a grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. Different. That's what I'm saying. Without I that, a base. I, I think had, I was that so somebody, to have base. somebody said to me, it makes it easier because, you know, it's not like you're using someone else's yeah. sink and someone else's shower. That was, that that was shower. Way, Nicole had that. Right. So I think Nicole having the base there, having mm-hmm. the house, I think that's. I say, like Italian American people, like you can buy all these houses in Italy now for a dollar. If you really want to yeah, integrate, you're right. Take forty thousand. I mean, it's an education. You're paying for your kids' education. It's, yeah, like, you're it's right. paying for a school. Go back to Italy, buy a house in that village, and you know you're gonna you're gonna integrate because you got a base. You need that base.
2: But in certain ways, like you and I, I think one of the things we always say united us from the first meeting was we both inherited our uber Italian is from our grandparents right mm-hmm. your, your grandmother yeah, my grandmother my grandfather um so i I assume when we went back we probably you probably had a similar experience to my first time back which was like I was very surprised at how distinct Italian America was like we spoke about at the earlier part of the episode but for me I felt like I was somehow like the select of my Italian community and that because I was so overly Italian, I fit in there
1: better than other people. I'll tell you the first, I'll tell you two impressions. The first thing is that the South was really different. Yeah. Because I, once you hit the South, you realize these people feel, feel, and it's not, it's not an, I know people, said it's not in any way an anti-Northern feeling. It's just that my Italian has a Campania accent. Would you say that, Ro? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right, so I have a Campania accent and even the Italian I took in high school I mix in Abruzzo and there's a Campania accent. And I was 16 and I was in Liguria, and I asked for something. The, the guy, the shop owner, had no English at all. This was your first trip back. First trip. So I'm 16 and I asked the guy something, and he heard my high school time with a very heavy Neapolitan twist to it, and he said to me, "Oh, uh, where's your family from? Is your family from are you from Campania?" your animals it was the lega had just first time i ever heard of lega yeah and the guy said to me um you've just hard, i mean the mo- it really was, it's it's funny how that probably first experience kind of molded me yeah and um he said to me um you know the south are criminals and uh, you've held back italy and we have a political party now or political i don't know if lega was here, but the political yeah, movement yeah it was yeah and we're going to separate and and he used the word monkey shemo i understood I don't exactly know me. And I was stunned. And I said to my grandmother, I was like, I can't. Why did guys say all this stuff? And my grandma was like, well, don't speak Navidad around these people. Like, yeah. But um, the hostility was just, it was very, very. And that was like, the, I was in Italy a matter of hours. Wow. Because we toured the north of Italy. Like, yeah. Yeah, you have to take the kids to see Venice. And sure, of course. And that was my first trip. And, yeah. um, and I actually was there with school the first time I went. There. It was a school trip. And I was just stunned when I went back to New Jersey. And I'm telling my, I'm like, this guy was like really nasty. That was the, fir- the first time I used Italian in Italy. I was balled out for speaking with a Campania accent. Wow. With my two years whatever high school Italian, which I was something like Dovio Gabinetto type of stuff. Right. you know. And that, I think, as I think back, maybe part of my Neapolitan nationalism was born at that moment. Yeah, I can it see feels why. Like, I was like, how? And I was shocked. That kind of, that made a big impression on me. So the two things that I took away was, A, they don't like us. They don't say nice things about us. And then I, I was in the south, and I was like, this place is... It, it was still very... You still had women at that time in the full black dress carrying water on their head. I remember sure. seeing a lot of that kind I of stuff remember still that going in, on. In,
2: in towns down south into the early 2000s. Right,
1: I, and the one thing that got me was the home feeling. and But what really got me was the beauty of Italy. I yeah. was just stunned. I was like, wow. It reminds me of my mother's living room. Everything here is decorative <laughs> and over the top. And there's there's little Uh, Monty pudi looking people in churches. (laughs) And I was like, this is where my mother got her interior decorating skills (laughs) from. And I was just stunned that everything in Italy was beautiful. The the church was beautiful. The hotel was beautiful. The table in the restaurant was beautiful. And the napkin was like ironed. And everything was presented. And it was just a country that was very aesthetic. And, you know, coming from America, I think that I was just kind of shocked that you had a whole—everything. Everything, you just walked around the country, and it's just it's just a beautiful country. It's an absolutely beautiful country.
0: You know, like, I—actually, uh, I had a, a different experience, like, and I remember so many little things, even from when I was seven. I, I like to think that before I went to Italy, I was purely American. Sure. Even though I, like, spoke Italian, yeah. <laughs> and I had very Italian parents— I think by the time I went to school, I really wanted to be an American. Sure. And I knew we were different, but I didn't understand why we had to be so different. Yeah. And I there were things that I didn't love about, you know, being Italian-American the way we were and so, you know, hardcore about yeah. things and why we couldn't have SpaghettiOs and why we couldn't <laughs> have a microwave and why we <laughs> couldn't have cable yet. And <laughs> we were always the last people to do everything. Wow. But then uh, when I went to Italy... And I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to speak dialect or regional language. They they really forced me to speak Italian, and and I did not realize until I was much older that my grandmother was forcing herself yeah. to speak a language she did not know. Yeah, it's fair. So she was really doing her best to only speak to me in proper Italian.
1: Take that proper word away. What? In, it's in, called it's called brainwash Okay,
0: in standard Italian, that you know, with her fifth grade education. Yeah. You know, she really was was trying so hard. And I, when I was like 13, and I would hang out with kids there, I would hear them speaking this language that I didn't quite understand. I could understand little things because I'd heard it so much. But I wanted to say those things too. Yeah. And I wanted to use their slang too. And my family was so against it. And they didn't want me to learn. They didn't want to teach me. But I taught myself to speak Molesa.
2: I think that's wonderful.
1: That's why I'm your biggest fan. That's uh, why I'm your biggest one. Why do I say, Ro, how do you say that in Molaise?
2: Yeah, we're all proud of that. I I, I mean, knowing you, Pat, has made my attempt to be better about Neapolitan and even my Sicilian. A big part of my life because I I learned a lot from both of you guys. So it's uh, don't worry
1: about the same. We're about the Nabi
2: I, I like them both, but it, but I want to say one thing
1: before we go. Chicaredo. chikaredo, chikaredo, chikaredo. Is a well, donkey
2: for those of you who would use churella or shikarido. What? What's the other one in the north? They use uh, asino I think. Asino, they use asino, asino. and asino. somaro. Somaro well, that means donkey. Chikaredo mm-hmm. is in a juch uh, is, is the best word. is a
1: nice one. But no matter what
2: language you speak no matter where it comes from, we definitely encourage people to go back. And I want to ask you guys a question before we go off the air. We're going to come back with the final quarter of this survey next week, but uh, it's February right now. It's the middle of February. Summer is quickly approaching. Now I'm going to ask you this on the air. Do you guys think we could pull off an Italian-American podcast tour available to our listeners this summer?
1: Only if it's in the Val di Diano and Mova.
2: Only if it goes to the region. Nah, it's funny though. Yeah, fair I, enough. Yeah, no, but I love. I, I,
1: I, I, if, if you want to, if you want to, like Rome and Florence, that's great. But I want to go eat in the. No, no, we want to show you. I want to eat. but do you think we could? You it better off? bring this stretchy pants. This summer is a close date. Bring stretchy yeah, pants.
2: Summer's too but too tough.
0: W- maybe I mean it, it, the scheduling is the is the hardest part. I feel like everyone in the new neighborhood would absolutely be dying to go though.
1: Should we report from Italy? Dun, 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 well, dun, dun, let me just dun. say, when this episode comes
2: out uh, Monday, I will have spent a little bit of time doing some research to see our schedule. So when you hear this. If you're interested and you'd like to come see Italy either for the first time or for one of your many times, Italian American podcast style, shoot us an email, info at ItalianPower.com. Find us on social media. we doing
1: a trip to Italy? I, I would like to try. I, I, but you tell me. I'm just like, I, I, I'd like this ain't like interested. If you're listening, this is not like we read. He tells me, number one, he going send emails that uh, I never read. And I got to like, go. Now, now I'm going to Italy? <laughs> I got to go. If we go to Italy, we'll can it we out. make podcast stretchy pants? <laughs> the when we go eat? Absolutely. With, with podcast maternity pants. Yeah, so you can eat all you want. No odds. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And if we're going to have a, a Brioski as a sponsor. We'll have Brioski cocktails <laughs> after dinner.
2: If I had to go to Italy for the first time or any of my trips, I would love the opportunity to have people like you guys, and even myself, be the tour guides for this because uh, I think we show it. Totally unique. What a breakfast,
1: lunch, and dinner you would have. <laughs> you'll
2: eat, you'll eat, eat, eat.
1: Well, who wants to go see that museum when there's really <laughs> on the table? Yeah, really. Second lunch. That's why you go look at the painting online <laughs> when you're I, home. I cut
0: all of that stuff out of my tour, and we yeah, just do you
1: food. We just with do food. It. It. Nobody <laughs> wants to, go, right? How many paintings?
2: That's what we do. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's nice. If but, you're hey. interested, let us know. And Are you serious? I'd like to know if they were interested. Yeah. I mean, why not? I'm Can't glad
1: how I. Fu- Good thing I. I'm, could- I'm asking if I now. didn't do this podcast, that would have That's no why idea was going That's why I'm asking you online.
2: On. That's why I'm asking you on the mic. It's just
1: kind of like surprise. Like no, no, no like, I'm really asking. This like, is your this life. Is you me, me online?
2: No, I'm genuinely asking if we, we think it would work. Well, if you are interested, let us know because uh, maybe I uh, can make it happen. Da, da, da. And from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.
0: We hope. If you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano, and your Your life